Sunday, August 15th, Day 1, Part B, Section 1. 9.04 p.m. Well, that was fucking unexpected and fun and funny. On my quest for Prosecco, when I was walking past the glass-walled outdoor seating area of Jordan to get to the entrance, I saw three young guys, like in their 20s, at the outdoor part of the bar. One who had a George Washington-type wig on. I actually laughed out loud. And as a bit of a costume fanatic myself at times, I appreciated his ridiculousness. When I went inside, the most open part of the bar to sit ended up being next to George Washington's friends. And then almost immediately, his friend right next to me, who I'll call Henry Knox, since he was one of Washington's friends, started up a conversation with me. And he was cute. Pretty eyes. Good conversationalist. And he listened. Surprisingly good conversationalist for a man of his age. Or sadly, many ages. Had a confidence to him. And he seemed to have a presence and honesty. All right, game on, I thought, within five minutes of sitting there and sipping my Prosecco. Because I live in a beach town called Pacific Beach with a bunch of 20-somethings. Did I mention that I'm 48? How about that I'm going through perimenopause? Yeah, so young men in Pacific Beach do not pay attention to me. It generally feels like I'm invisible. And to be honest, I mostly ignore them as well. So I decided to take this all as a sign that this was time for me to learn to play with my sexual energy again. And that this seven-day challenge, whatever the hell that meant, was apparently happening. When Henry Knox found out about my field of work, he had a bunch of questions about sex, young adults, gender differences, etc. I do my work because I love talking about these topics, and I'm driven to make a positive difference. So I appreciate when someone else is interested in learning what I know and asking questions about complicated and nuanced topics. And, you know, it's also a great tactic to make me feel important. Genuinely asking questions about the things I know and care about to pick my brain and learn, and just asking questions to get to know me as a person and who I am. It feels great, and unfortunately, isn't something I experience that much when I first meet men. Henry chats with his friends for a moment or two, and then turns back to me and asks, if we were to go to the airport right now and could fly anywhere, where would you choose? Oh, hot damn. What a fantastically stimulating question. Of course, my response was multi-layered. Well, I would consider this in two directions, I said. One, if money and time were not relevant, the first place that comes to mind is Bali and then hop over to Thailand. But with limited time and budget, I've been really wanting to go to Oaxaca, Mexico and explore that town, its culture, architecture, arts, food. I ask for his answers and we continue talking travel for a while and sharing stories. A woman, who I'll call Martha, then joins our group, sitting at the other end of these three guys, so right next to George Washington. And the five of us discuss how a guy in a wig is such a great conversation starter, which he shares is why he chose to wear it. Brilliant. Because to me, it seems to indicate that he's fun, open, interesting, adventurous. But most importantly, it gives women an easy opening to start a conversation with him. And that is certainly relevant to flirting and sexual energy. I think we could use more safe, fun, easy, no-pressure ways of starting conversations with strangers. Okay, back to my new little hottie friend, Henry. 
He has a bunch of black and white tattoos on his upper right thigh, and he shows them to me. He gets one whenever he travels to a new and cool place and, get this, allows his travel partner to choose what he gets. They were mostly foreign-looking buildings, and we made a little game out of me guessing what countries they were from. Some of them were, let's say, unconventional. There was a tattoo of a sloth that apparently was from Costa Rica. And I, because as a sociologist, I'm apparently a professional buzzkill and can't help it, eventually asked the quite logical question. So you're likely not to stay friends with all those people. How do you feel permanently adding something to your body that represents them? His first response is that nobody can see the tattoos unless he wants them to. All right, fair enough. He did have to work to roll up his long shorts to show me. But I pushed the issue because that's how my brain works in trying to understand others. Although I can imagine it's a pain in the ass at times on the receiving end, especially when I'm drinking, because it's just interesting to me, but to the other person, it may feel profoundly uncomfortable. Anyway, I pushed on, asking about how he felt about that commitment. And in turn, he responded, gee, thanks for ruining that for me. I never thought of it that way. Which, frankly, was stunning to me. But I laughed and said, yeah, well, us sociologists are kind of professional buzzkills. I've had ex-boyfriends say that to me, and one even called me Professor Buzzkillington. And as I always just responded with, well, somebody has to keep it real. But in retrospect, I wonder if it actually was disturbing to him. Or, oh, if he was playing that game that I now remember younger men play, where they try to make you feel bad for something so that they get you to react and apologize. It's like a mild power play game, I guess. It's funny to think about it in that context and how I just owned it instead of playing the game. But should I have apologized? Eh, I don't know. Worthy to take some time to reflect on. And not because I'm a woman and we're taught to apologize for everything, but just out of awareness and kindness to fellow humans. But too much thinking on it right now. Move on. Also in retrospect, in completely different direction, I realized that he had really nice thighs. Like, muscled thighs. And I was lightly touching the tattoos when I was trying to guess where they were from. It's clear, though, that I was not at all attuned in any way to sexual feelings or sensual connection in that moment. I was in my head, thinking about what memories the images triggered in my travel memories. Clearly, another reason why this seven-day challenge is pretty needed for me right now. I don't even notice when I'm touching a nice part of a man's body. Eh, I'm just going to blame it on fucking COVID times. All right, back to my story. Oh, we're doing shots now of something that burned when it went down. Oh, I'm a sucker for shots. And I have been since I started drinking in my mid-20s in grad school. I was a late bloomer, and once I started drinking, I appreciated the efficiency of shots. Henry and his two friends were visiting from out of town for a friend's bachelor weekend, and their flight back was delayed, so they were killing the few hours they had at the bar. Then I heard Henry say to his friends that he was considering staying and hanging with me, and they didn't have anything that important to do back home in the morning. Then he glances back at me. Oh, shit. Okay, that definitely sounds like flirting. And it was, like, kind of titillating to hear. It felt good to feel desired. Henry clearly has got some game. And the thought of kissing him and fucking around a little is appealing. And... 
He's a 28-year-old dude who is talking to a quote-unquote sex expert. And if he's going to spend the night, I have no doubt that he wants and assumes that we would keep hanging out, drink more, and then have sex. But I don't want to have sex with him tonight. I don't like to have sex with guys I've just met. They don't know me and don't know what I like. I hate the awkwardness of stopping them and the miss of what they've assumed I like and saying, I don't actually want that. I don't like that. I like this. They make assumptions instead of asking questions. And I need to be able to trust them, feel safe, feel seen, feel cared about. Frank, sexual conversations with men I'm starting to date matter a lot to me. But I found if these conversations happen in the heat of the moment, not all men handle that well. And then I guess because they're not used to frank conversations like that, the sexual interaction can end up feeling more mechanical and detached, not fulfilling, not connecting. Literally the opposite of what I'm hoping for by having a sexual conversation. I've also learned the hard way that even if I blatantly say up front that I do not and will not have sexual intercourse with him tonight, so please don't expect it or push for that, and then it doesn't matter. Many, many men will assume they just have to get me turned on enough. And when they see that I'm turned on and experiencing pleasure, they assume that I want what they want. So I don't say anything when Henry throws his idea out to his friends about staying and hanging with me and glances back at me. A few minutes later, comes up again. And once again, I don't comment or say, yeah, you should stay. The kinds of conversations and interactions I need at this point are not the ones that most men are used to. And with men I've just met, they don't go well. And I'm not going to put myself in this position. I think I've lost some of my mental and emotional and physical resilience in COVID times. Although it would certainly make for a better story for this seven-day challenge. I'm 48, and my fulfillment and well-being is more important than any story now. And this is pretty important insight into why I avoid flirting with strangers. Henry had asked for my number earlier on, and suddenly they're up because their Uber has arrived. I get up too and give Henry an affectionate hug and thank him for the genuinely interesting conversation. I say, I don't usually enjoy a conversation this much with a guy I just met. Thank you for that. And they leave to catch their flight back home. 